Coming up on the Scott Thompson Home Show podcast, the U.S. border remains closed for Canadians. Why are we still talking about reproductive rights during an election campaign in 2021? Does the climate have you so concerned you may not have kids? Some feel that way. It's all coming up. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. It's going to be a scorcher in the hammer this weekend. And if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask while running through the sprinkler. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Now we're never going to get him to put a shirt on. And you got a weather like that. Holy smokers. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers can back at the station. Keep it the Scott Thompson home show between the pipes. Jump into the fun. We would love to hear you. Uh, it is an all request Friday. All right. Um, uh, as far as COVID-19, uh, the numbers are up today, uh, 650. Uh, which is uh, like the biggest one-day increase since June 6th. So uh, obviously that is of concern. Again, as my son pointed out to me, uh, you know, Joe, how many of those were unvaccinated, Dad? And I didn't have to because he had the number for me. So, uh, and obviously it's it's the vast majority of. So um, I guess no surprises there. We have been talking about this for a while, and as September rolls around, and restrictions uh, lighten up a bit, we are bound to see uh, an increase. That being said, we remember the day when we didn't have enough vaccine to even open clinics. Then, of course, uh, all the mass vaccine came in in and around May, and boom, we saw these giant uh, uh, clinics uh, open up, like First Ontario Centre and such, and trying to get through as many people as possible. Uh, then we sort of hit a wall. We sort of you know, peaked at that point, and we're sitting at, I guess, just over 82% with one uh, dose, just over 70%, 73%, I think, with the second dose. So uh, then it started to, you know, to kind of, it, it peaked at that point, and, and things started to wane. So obviously not enough people to keep the mass vaccination clinics open, so now it's a more surgical approach uh, in doing various areas, neighborhoods and such, uh, that might have been a bit uh, hesitant now it looks like it is moving uh, into schools, obviously, with September rolling around. On that note, let's bring in Don Mitchell, Global News Online reporter with 900 CHML here in the Hammer. He's with us. Don, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing really good, Scott. How about you? Uh, I'm doing well, although I'm not sure I even remember what you look like, Don, if it wasn't for this little <laughs> picture next to your email. I, yeah, I know. And we had that uh, Zoom a couple days ago, and yeah. I, I, didn't really, uh, I didn't really shine for the camera like everybody else seemed to. It's like everybody's uh, become an expert, uh, you know, on lighting and such when they do their calls, except for me. you got to get some costume and makeup going on there, Don. That's what it is. You need a nice big hat. Uh, anyway, uh, so give us an update here, uh, Don, because I understand they're rejigging how they're doing things this weekend, obviously trying to move things into school as we get ready for uh, September. What can you tell us uh, about what's going on this weekend? Well, I mean, we've been talking to the uh, people at the school board spokespersons, uh, as well as Don Danko, we did just a couple of days ago, you know, trying to figure out uh, how this is all going to work out since the province earlier this week, and Stephen Lecce said that uh, they're 
the need to mandate all the schools within the province to start uh, getting vaccination clinics going with all the youth there. Obviously, they you know have some concerns going into the school year, and you want to get as many uh, vaccinated as possible. Of course, you know you get the impression um, when we're talking to people at the school boards that the concern is obviously those that are under 12 that can't be vaccinated simply because we don't have the approvals to do that with the two vaccinations. But um, they're moving full steam ahead with what they can do, and they'll be doing that this weekend uh, as the public school boards are going to kick off everything tomorrow. Uh, there's just actually just two clinics for tomorrow that will start, but they are essentially running one a day straight through for the next week. So the uh, first one for uh, the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board is going to be Orchard Park in Stony Creek tomorrow as well. Uh, Bishop Ryan Catholic Secondary is going to get off the ground tomorrow on the mountain. Uh, Obviously, uh, a more surgical approach at this point in the pandemic, Don. Uh, uh, do, Do we have any more information on hesitancy? Do we have any more information on what more we have to do to make sure we can get at least uh, those that are willing, you know, on board and, and get vaccinated? Uh, what do the issues seem to be that, that that's preventing that at this point? Well, I'm to understand you've got uh, Michelle Baird coming up shortly, and uh, yeah. she certainly will be more of an expert on that because, you know, public health is obviously more hands-on with trying to figure out what the issues are with the younger generation. I mean, um, people under 30 right now in terms of fully vaccinated in the city, it's, it's under 57%. And, um, you know, the causes, the reasons why, I'm not sure whether it's, you know, education. Uh, they just don't listen to as much radio or television or read the newspapers like most people do and understand what's going on in the world. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. But, um, you know, I, I don't think it's so much, you know, they keep talking about conspiracy theories. I don't think there's a big part of the population uh, that has an issue with that. I, I think it's just, you know, communication and, and people understanding you know, um, what COVID is all about and, and potentially knowing that they need to get a shot. So, um, you know, again, that's something that public health, you know, we're, we're in those meetings every week, you know, uh, talking to Dr. Elizabeth Richardson and, and such. And, and I think they're just as stumped as we are about, you know, why they can't get the rate up. And it, and it certainly has lagged in Hamilton, uh, compared to a lot of other public health regions across uh, the province. I mean, we've really come, almost come to sort of a full stop. And we were, uh, you know, uh, dialoguing with uh, Hamilton Health Sciences yesterday, and they had their town hall, and uh, their epidemiologist, Dr. Uh, Dominic Mertz, you know, he said it, that, you know, the big issue right now is, is that, you know, vaccinations have really tapered off, and that's where the concern is going into this fall, because, you know, he'd like to see it up, to about 90% fully vaccinated, but we're quite far from that. Don Mitchell with us, Global News Online reporter, 900CHML in Hamilton, of course, uh, 900CHML.com for uh, to see Don's work. Don, again, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. No sweat. See you, Scott. Uh, Michelle Baird, let's bring her in, Public Health, City of Hamilton, in with us now. Michelle, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Hi, Scott. Good to hear from you. Uh, talk about the approach this weekend and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so at this point in time, we really are in a place that we're trying to encourage vaccine, particularly in those younger groups. Uh, we do have some um, innovative things happening this weekend, lots of fun around vaccines. So at First Ontario Centre this weekend, on Friday and Saturday night, we have vaccines at night. So our vaccine clinic is open. It's walk-in there from 6 to 11 p.m., We have heard from some of those younger groups that 
daytime clinics don't work for everyone depending on work schedules. So hopefully this allows a bit more flexibility and we are open, as I said, till 11 p.m. So come on out, get a vaccine on Saturday night. There's free skating for you and a friend uh, at First Ontario if you come in for a vaccine. The other piece that's underway, of course, is August 23rd, 24th and 25th. Uh, the Tiger Cats are hosting a vaccine clinic at Tim Hortons Field. So again, great opportunity to come out if you come out and get a vaccine at that uh, at one of those clinics. Um, you can stay and watch a practice and lots of prizes to be won through these clinics as well. There's some draws happening and there's some draws for some fun prizes on Friday and Saturday night at First Ontario as well. The other piece on getting underway next week, of course, is vaccines in clinics, uh, vaccine clinics within school settings. Uh, school, of course, getting people back to in-person learning is important for us. And tied to that is what happens in schools really does reflect what's happening in the community. And at this point, Scott, we're really seeing an increase in COVID cases in the community. And with our lagging vaccine numbers, we're just trying to do our very best here as we come into September to really encourage people to get out, get a vaccine. Uh, obviously, uh, many have predicted that as uh, we move towards September, we were going to start to see an increase. We are uh, obviously seeing that today. Uh, it, it, as we've talked before, uh, we were going so well for the longest time, and then it just sort of you know seemed to plane out. Uh, you were talking about access, working, hence doing the you know the uh, nighttime vaccination clinics and such, uh, especially with a younger demographic. Uh, and you've got some great ideas with with what you're doing with the tie cats uh, and such. But what do you what do you think the reasoning is? Is it is it education? Is it is it just denial or is it just anti vax? What do you think it is? I think there's lots of reasons. I'm sure some of it is all of those things. We also know that in the previous waves of COVID, uh, we saw fewer hospitalizations in those particular demographics. These uh, younger groups weren't um, particularly ill. They, they tend to be busy, busy in their lives. So, and in some cases, I think just slower to, to see what's happening. We are, though, saying now that uh, the COVID cases we are seeing for the most part are in the unvaccinated group. And certainly this group is, is part of that. So really encouraging folks to get out and get a vaccine. Uh, how obviously we are seeing uh, the uptick, as I said, uh, how concerned are you with that, considering we have so many vaccinated? I mean, obviously, the under 12 are not. That's a, a, an incredibly sensitive issue, obviously. Um, but but heading into this fourth wave, are you confident that we'll see hospitalizations uh, remain stable, uh, you know, with this being primarily for those that are unvaccinated? Um, we are concerned at this point. I mean, we are dealing with uh, the Delta variant, which is different than what we saw previously, that certainly uh, seems to be much more transmissible. So we don't want people to feel like, um, you know, this is a good time to continue on being unvaccinated, that if if you're lagging or considering it or still have questions, speak to someone you trust, speak to a healthcare provider and uh, really get the information you need to help make a decision. All of our clinics, we have nurses and physicians on site and more than happy to have those conversations because, um, you know, being, being of those younger ages doesn't necessarily protect you. And I'm assuming, Michelle, all of this information about what's going on this weekend and the school clinics and such all on the website. 
everything's on the website with respect to what's happening, those TICAT clinics, the First Ontario clinics, as well as we have some sites with the GoVax bus. And, you know, many, if not all of our pharmacies in Hamilton continue to offer vaccine on a walk-in basis. So all of that information is on the website. Uh, check it out, and we'll hope to see you out at a clinic this weekend. All right. Uh, from Public Health, City of Hamilton, Michelle Baird with us and trying to make it easier, even easier, for everyone to uh, get the jab. Michelle, thanks so much for the time. Good luck this weekend with all of this. Great work. Thanks, Scott. Uh, we remember last month that uh, the Prime Minister opened up the border, uh, allowing those in the United States who are fully vaccinated with two doses uh, into the country to visit Canada, friends, relatives, what have you, travel uh, and such. And we were all kind of surprised when the U.S. didn't reciprocate and open the border uh, for Canadians to go into the United States, uh, especially because Canadians... Well, we're doing a lot better than the United States is. They certainly started way at the beginning. We're like five, six months behind them. However, once they got to about 50%, they, they planed out. Whereas, uh, we're at 82, 83% before we're starting to see, uh, that issue. So clearly there are, uh, it's more, there's more of the population vaccinated in Canada than there is in the United States. So uh, you'd think that we're a little bit safer than they are. I don't know. Maybe that's not the case. No scientific data on that one. Uh, But certainly it seems odd that uh, we're letting them in. They aren't letting uh, us in and how this uh, has changed. Long story short, this has now been extended. Uh, this always happens the 21st of the month and now, and usually 30 days at a time, obviously, or a month at a time. So now it has bum, bum, uh, been bumped back to, uh, September 21st. So, you know, uh, and again, we don't know if it's going to open on September 21st, but, uh, it's been, uh, the closure has been extended, uh, until September 21st. So to talk more about all of this and, uh, what it all means, let's bring in Thomas Tenkate, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University, and with us now. Thomas, thanks for your time. Hope you're well. Uh, yes, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me again. Really appreciate it. Tom, are you surprised that the U.S. has once again extended its border closures? And this is also Canada and uh, Mexico, we should say, north and south borders. Are you surprised that they have once again done this? Mm. I'm not surprised from the perspective that uh, given where they're at with the, the case numbers really going up and the vaccination rates not going up, you know, their, their options for control are, are, you know, not as great as we have here because of that vaccination rate. So, so I think you know, it's it's sort of a, an easy thing for them to do is just to extend the existing uh, restrictions that they have, at, you know, at the land borders. Uh, what about uh, in Mexico or between the southern border with Mexico? I, do you, if you close one, do you have to close the other? If, do you think when they finally do open that it will be both at the same time, or or is that an issue? Uh, well, I, I think I think you could make a case for you know having uh, different rules for each of the borders because because you have to look at what is like from my perspective what is the risk to the U.S. of people coming from Canada into the U.S. or versus people from uh, coming from South America up through the uh, through the southern border and and really as as you said in your intro the uh, you know because of the vaccination rate and 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 our number of cases that we have at the moment, uh, even though the cases are going up and our vaccination rate gives us, you know, uh, I think, you know, the risk that, that Canadian uh, travellers would pose is much less than someone from coming from, from South America. So, so you could make that case that the, the, the risk to the, univer- uh, to, to the US is going to be a lot greater for 
people coming through the Canadian land border. So, so from that perspective, you know, you could have uh, you know, separate rules for each border. Uh, considering uh, where the United States is now, is there any reason, and, and the way things are trending, is there any reason to believe that uh, it won't stay closed come September 21? Yeah, I, 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 at the, the way things are traveling, and uh, you know, as, as you mentioned about the Delta variant, it's it's really taken hold. Uh, you know, I think we're it's something like you know eighty some eighty four percent or more of cases in in Canada are, are a Delta variant, and uh, the US is is similar and uh, or, or more. And so, so because of just its uh, you know ability to be more easily transmitted. Uh, it, it's just really going through the communities uh, quite easily, particularly in communities that uh, don't have that sort of vaccination rate, uh, full vaccination rate that uh, we'd like to see. So, so you know, it, you know, unless something drastically changes, you know, I, I don't see that uh, they're going to get it under control anytime soon. So, so I'd say, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, I would say, you know. We'd be looking through till Christmas or, or so before before they could uh, p- potentially get get it under control. Do you think Canada, as a result of all that, will change its position on the border? Will it close it again? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I definitely think that uh, you know if I was you know sort of from a from a Canadian perspective, and if I was in charge, I'd be very much looking at uh, you know what is the risk to Canada of of uh, people from the U.S. coming in. Uh, across the land border, and, and uh, I'd be monitoring that, uh, you know, quite closely. And, and uh, I would say that, you know, it, it would be something definitely on the on the on the cards to uh, to uh, make those restrictions again. Uh, you, know, you know, whether or not that's, you know, I don't know how quickly they would do that, but uh, definitely if, if things keep tracking the way they are in the US, I think it, it's definitely a, definitely a high likelihood. Does it does any of this matter, Tom? Considering they have to be fully vaccinated in order to get into Canada, so is this a moot point? Yeah, I, I think well, def, definitely the you know the the uh, the full vaccination uh, is is important in regard to the the, the severe outcomes, uh, but because of because of the evidence, increasing evidence around. Transmissibility of the particular the Delta variant, and people who are who are vaccinated are still able to transmit it. I think that that uh, you know, that's playing into the uh, the the uh, considerations of you know just because you are vaccinated doesn't mean that you can't transmit it to someone if you come into the country. And so so I think that that's that's part of it. Even though the 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 ability to transmit it is is much less than someone who isn't isn't vaccinated. It's still there, so so it's a consideration, but but uh, but definitely you know the the level of risk is is there, but it's not as uh, definitely not as great as if if it was uh, someone who was unvaccinated. Uh, Tom, my wife and I are out walking the dog last night, and uh, it didn't take long to notice. My wife pointed this out. Look at all the planes in the sky. You yeah. visibly notice a difference now, even you know than a, a couple of months ago, a month ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, you know, definitely air travel is, uh, seems to have ramped up and, and that's, that is of concern because the, you know, these same sort of restrictions aren't, aren't applying to, to air travel as they are, are to the land borders. And, and I think, uh, you know, that, you know, and when I, the, the, uh, 
information I've seen is is uh, you know more and more uh, planes are coming in with uh, with people who test positive and uh, and the numbers are getting up higher and higher and so so you know my sense is that if that's the case uh, you know it, it, it could be likely to see some uh, some restrictions coming back onto onto air travel as well. Uh, when this uh, when this COVID nineteen pandemic started, uh, there was basically one strain. Then we saw it mutate into various uh, variants, uh, but we haven't heard of any new variants of late that I'm aware of that, that have gotten uh, you know, mass attention. Uh, is the Delta variant still the most concerning? Are there other variants on the horizon? Yeah, yeah. So, so. Uh, definitely, there's the four four key what they're calling variants of concern: the alpha, beta, delta, and gamma. Uh, the delta one is the one that's the predominant variant of concern, uh, but uh, you know the gamma one has started to uh, take a bit more hold. But the alpha one was the one that we first had, and its rates, you know, the the gamma delta, gamma variant is is nearly about around the same number or proportion as the the alpha one that's still still hanging around, but but uh, say say in Canada they're they're tracking about uh, I know about a dozen or more other variants, what they're calling variants of interest that are still at very very low levels, but they're uh, you know they're tracking them, uh, and so so it, it's yeah we we just sort of see you know the the reality is because of other countries not not being able to get it under control, they you know it, particularly with air travel. The the, uh, the ability of of new variants to to come into the country uh, is there particularly, and so so I think it, it is uh, it just reinforces this issue of, that it is a, a global global uh, outbreak of what uh, as a what we call a pandemic, and uh, you know and it's and we're we're really in that position where you know new variants uh, are emerging all the time, and depending on what they're their characteristics are they could uh you know take take hold and uh you know we've seen this this current delta variant take hold relatively quickly and, and it's really dominating now but and at this stage my sense is that it's going to be the really the dominant one for quite a while until till another one that's even more nasty you know knocks it knocks it off the office perch so what's what obviously is not a nice thing to think about you know it's a it's that's a difficult situation to think about if Something else is even more nasty. So. Uh, obviously, the longer it takes to vaccinate the globe, the more chance there are of variants. The, the longer it's unattended, the more it, it, it uh, mutates. Is that accurate? Yeah, definitely. Yes. What, um, you know, we're, 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 ch- we're having a lot of discussion around the word mandatory and what is mandatory and what isn't mandatory and, and more and more. Uh, companies, municipalities, governments are are you know saying you have to have this, or you have to go through a series of jump through a series of hoops. What would mean education and uh, doctors' documentation and uh, and obviously uh, testing and such. Is it does it seem odd to you that we're having those discussions when you know we've got situations like this at a border during a time of a very transmissible variant? Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, you know it, it, it's really you know playing into a lot of those discussions about uh, you know what what are you know people's individual rights and how do you balance individual rights versus the uh, you know the 
how do you protect the community in general? Got and and you know, there's also issues around privacy and uh, you know, particularly people concerned for the uh, the uh, vaccine passport issue around potentially around privacy. And and so depending, you know, and what we see from the US, you know, those those arguments uh, are much stronger than what what they tend to be in Canada, but but they're still there. And so so I think it it is. Uh, you know, overall, uh, I think the uh, you know sort of employers and universities and and, and other institutions are uh, you know in, uh, clubs and, and associations are are really particularly in Canada as you know are, are really now saying if you want to come to our premises to our venues you you need to be fully vaccinated and and I think that's a that's a that's a positive because it's reinforcing the the, uh, the benefits of of vaccination and. Uh, and, and you know, but it's also allowing for for if people need an accommodation for for particular reasons, then then they then it's available as well. So so it, it, it's a you know a, it's an ongoing it's a, a the, the overall issue is, is you know continue, you know every day uh, every week there's there's something new that comes up and uh, you know uh, we'd like to think it's becoming less challenging, but in in some ways the the challenges keep coming. We saw during various waves of this uh, pandemic, especially during the, at the beginning of it all, how various countries were handling it, how, you know, restrictions and lockdowns and, and what was working and what wasn't working. In uh, Australia and New Zealand were, were examples. Again, you know, maybe not the best simply because they are islands, but now they are starting to see uh, an uptake. And, and talk about them a bit and, and, and what they're doing to try to, to uh, get control of this or let it stop it from going out of control i guess <laughs> yeah well i think you know uh australia and new zealand really relied on like like you said relied on the fact that they they are islands and you know once they close their borders uh, then then it's uh, they're they're able to control sort of incoming uh you know incoming people uh in and uh, infections and so then it's then tracking and, and managing localized infections and so so they were able to do that, uh, and because of that, they they really their their, their vaccination or, or their emphasis on vaccination was really uh, sort of secondary. And uh, and so so what's happening now because the Delta variant came in, and because of, of how easily it's being able to able to be transmitted, they're now getting really really hit with that because they don't have the uh, vaccination coverage that uh, say Canada Canada has. So so that's that's their, you know, if if they'd started vaccination uh, and were able to get uh, vac- uh, the vaccine uh, doses that, that they were hoping for earlier earlier on, they they wouldn't be in this situation. So so it's again, it sort of shows that uh, that it's that combination of measures, uh, vaccination plus the various uh, restrictions in regard to uh, con- people contacting other people in, in crowded situations. And the like is is that combination of measures that that helps you get control of it. And if, and if one of those measures isn't uh, isn't able to be implemented, it really puts a lot of pressure on the other measures. And uh, and what we're seeing is that uh, just just you know selected measures on their own are, n- are not working. It really needs to be the the whole suite of measures in combination. Are you confident, Tom, that uh, with eighty-two percent of us with a first dose and uh, well over seventy-two percent, I guess, with a second, uh, that this will keep us out of a lockdown in a fourth wave, or is that just impossible to predict? Well, I, you know, I was looking at the data 
uh, for the you know the, the latest data for that came in for yesterday and and the you know from a Canada wide perspective we're we're now at more cases uh, yesterday than what we had in the first wave the peak of the first wave and and that's really happening really in the last two weeks and so and that trend is 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 on a pretty rapid up upward upward trend so so I you know my sense is that uh, you know from a number of cases perspective we're, we're uh, things are getting away from us already the good the good part is that it's not translating into the same level of hospitalizations and and that's really where vaccination is is helping us but I think the the group that I think really are most at risk are the the under 12s because of not being able to be vaccinated and, yeah. and I'm sort of worried about about uh, you know increasing cases in in, in that age group Thomas Tenkate with us, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health uh, with Ryerson University. Thomas, always thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Tim Powers, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. He is with us now. Tim, how are you? Well, I'm good. I think Will felt bad. He's trying to get me today, but I'm uh, happy to talk to you guys at any time. Even I'm on vacation today, Scott, but for you, I came off it for 25 minutes or whatever. You know what? I'm pulling your card out of the Rolodex then till, uh, for another two weeks. That's it. That's all, man. I only have one day. It's all good. It's all good. It's all hey, good. Hey, so were you down to Doyle's for a kitchen party or anything? What's going on? It- no, it didn't work out this trip, but I'll be back hopefully if the Iron Curtain come, not comes down, doesn't come down between now and then in a few weeks. So, no, didn't oh. see him, but I'll tell him you say hi. On that note, are you concerned, uh, considering where we are? Even the U.S. announced today, no, it's the borders are staying closed till September 21. Are you concerned that we might see that bubble again? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, uh, I am. I mean, what was it? Six fifty ish cases today. I saw. Um, yeah. You know, Dr. Moore has been out smartly. I think saying that uh, we're going to see numbers increase. He's been. He's hesit. He stopped, um, which I think is smart. Further phases of reopening. So the only pattern we know, Scott, has been when the numbers increase, restrictions come. So yeah, I'm a bit nervous. That's why I've been darting back and forth to Newfoundland while I can because. Uh, who knows how long the ability to travel will exist while we're fighting the Delta variant. All right, fingers crossed there. And everybody get out there and get vaccinated. All right, let's talk election here, Tim. Um, so uh, here we are, day six. Uh, the prime minister calls an election, and all I'm hearing is reproductive rights and mandatory vaccination. Is this why he called an election? Are these the pressing issues of the day? Uh, well, around vaccinations are probably, uh, you, you just mentioned it yourself. There is certainly a pressing discussion around the need to get more people vaccinated. Um, but the way it's played out, that's not what the discussion has been about. It's whose vaccine policy is better and whose has loopholes and who isn't taking it seriously. So that likely isn't helping encourage people who are hesitant to get vaccinated on reproductive rights some of that was deliberate and deliberate by aaron o'toole so he went to quebec city and spoke about being probably pro-choice and supporting reproductive rights and a women's woman's right to choose in large measure because he anticipated i think he the attack that was going to come from the liberals that again conservatives aren't supportive of uh, reproductive rights they're against it um 
I think it's a calculated risk on his part. I don't know how it will play out in the end, but you'll remember his predecessor uh, sunk himself by uh, being awkward on the issue to be polite and and avowedly pro-life as well. So that's what O'Toole's move is. He's opened the door on it. Usually it's done the other way around. So he's opening the door to get the message out, and then hopefully it will close behind him. Is that what he's thinking? I mean, I, you yeah. know, I'm old, I'm old enough to remember the Morgenthaler case of the 70s, and I'm just amazed how every election the conservatives allow this to be dragged out again. Well, I guess in this case, they they know it's coming, right? Because you have the, yeah. the you'll recall the uh, conversion therapy bill, where a number of conservatives voted against that. There have been other measures in the House, um, private measures that have talked about reproductive rights. He knows the liberals are going to throw it at him, so why not throw this? I guess his thinking is why not throw the the strategy around a little bit? And he's why is he doing it in Quebec? Because arguably in Quebec reproductive rights um, and the discomfort with social conservatism has hindered conservative growth down there. He needs to win a few seats if he's going to win a government. So that, I think, is why he went head on with it and knew some of this battling would come back and forth. Can the prime minister win on the issue of uh, uh, reproductive rights, abortion, uh, whatever we want to come at that, and mandatory vaccination? Uh, vaccination? Again, c- considering where we are, I can't believe this is what we're really talking about during an election campaign. The numbers of mandatory vaccination are fascinating. What was it? Um, I think it was Ipsos Reid had a poll the other day that said 80% of Canadians support mandatory vaccination as they described it in their poll and i think it was the other read angus reader came back and said 83 percent of canadians are not comfortable with people who are, who are unvaccinated so it, what trudeau i think is trying to do with this is again say when when society is on the line and uh somebody needs to do the right thing he's prepared to do it what o'toole's saying is, you know what, I'm doing the right thing and I'm imploring people to get vaccinated, but I'm not going to squash the rights of, of those in the minority who I believe, you know, should be adhered to. Um, Trudeau probably has more weight, but again, it depends in what fashion it spins out. And on reproductive rights, that becomes sort of code in political speak for the broader engagement of political parties with women and the, the women voting cohorts across this country are very strong and they can deliver governments my majorities uh, and they can take governments away from people so you know that's why Trudeau bangs in on them uh, and even if people question his commitment to some of these issues the the devout feminist that he is and there's lots of arguments to suggest that you know he's fallen down on that um what trudeau wants is them to say look you know who are you going to trust in the end if this is what's important to you me or o'toole so that's what he's trying to do and o'toole's trying to fight back against that and say that's all nonsense so uh obviously o'toole has opened this door to try to beat him at the pass why doesn't he do the same thing with mandatory and just somehow match what he's saying just cut him off at the pass well, if they thought they, I think they thought they had, because you yeah. remember earlier this week, they the conservatives had found a memo from the Treasury Board, so one of the key central agencies, of the federal government that oversees employees of the federal government, that basically said, "Nah, don't worry about mandatory vaccinations. You have rights." 
that was taken down off the federal government website. So now they're the, the, the conservatives are saying, well, really, is there that much difference in our policies? Um, where when Trudeau upped the ante by saying, well, yeah, there is, because there are going to be penalties for people in the federal civil service who don't get vaccinated, and that got some of the unions wound up. So I don't know where that one's going to spin, Scott, but neither seems to be giving up on it at the moment. And as I'm sure you're hearing from your listeners, more of the people that I talk to they're concerned about immediate needs, i.e., affordability. How you know, and under that, housing and inflation, and what that means to the price of food and the price of gas and all of that. And what we, if we learn anything from Nova Scotia, and you and I talked about this earlier in the week, uh, one of the things was, hey, don't lose sight of what people are dealing with right now. So, uh, getting back to what you just said, is there much difference between uh, the Prime Minister and O'Toole's uh, vaccination policy? Does it not end up at the same place? Uh, one says uh, you'll have to get tested, go through an education system, uh, as well as provide documentation. The other one says there'll be consequences. I mean, is it not the well, same? Well, Andy, and in Trudeau's, too, just, just to be clear on that he would have to provide exemptions for people right um because obviously if you can't take the drug because or drugs because of a pre-existing medical, medical reason condition, yeah. yeah so there's a there's not much difference uh, that i that i can see other than trudeau saying you know there will be fewer off ramps to getting vaccinated and let's not forget scott you know a lot of civil servants are in ottawa our rates in Ottawa for vaccination are sky high. So you're, you know, you probably have eighty. It's a moot point. Yeah, all done, right? So, uh, so there's very little daylight. The quick answer that I didn't give you is there's very little daylight between the policy, but they're both going to make sure they're wedging enough in the favor of of their particular audiences that they're trying to uh, trying to strike in. Will we still be talking about these two issues in thirty days? They'll be part of the storyline, probably. But I mean, I think what we might be talking more about is, again, Delta variant and the, the numbers, and that'll link back to vaccinations. That Trudeau believes that's his cover, right? If somehow the numbers go up, I, look, I've been saying mandatory vaccination. I'm going to go with mandatory vaccinations. If you look at the the rates of infection now, they're mostly among people that aren't vaccinated. So yeah, you can come after me for uh, for uh, for calling the election, but I've been trying to do the right thing. O'Toole, on the other hand, is already starting to say, well, this is reckless. We shouldn't be talking about this. We should be keeping people safe. So yes, I guess we're going to see it in some other form of the storyline uh also a issue that seems to be breaking through and you talked about this uh and i guess this is this is talked about in past elections but certainly not with the prevalence that it is uh in this election and that is housing that seems to be pushing its way uh out through the clouds uh let's say uh o'toole promising uh to build i think one million homes or whatever why does this become an issue because you know i've had lots of experts on over the years and it seems to be a, a typical supply and demand issue that we we just don't seem to be building enough yet we're worried about our population we want more immigration but for some reason we want to um, uh, re- restrict the amount of housing that we're building for them i mean ultimately that's what's driving the price of houses up there are not enough so why yeah, not build more ho- why not build more houses instead of you know farting around with the interest rate or or this program or that program just create a simple supply and uh, solve a simple supply and demand issue 
Well, it's private developers are, aren't they? Because they're putting them up where they yeah. can, as quick as they can. I think the government is, you know, hesitant. I don't know why, actually. It's a really good question. I think there's a hesitancy to do it because it's an expenditure they hope they don't have to make because it can be corrected elsewhere. But we seem to be in a very different place now around all that. And it's really potent on this campaign in this campaign because... A lot of the key voting cohorts, again, using that word cohorts, um, are, are millennials and uh, people who have lesser income and housing's gotten so expensive, you could even have you know decent middle class income and still hard to buy housing. So more voters are being affected by the lack of housing or the cost of housing now than likely have it have been in previous elections. Uh, NDP seem to be weighing in on this as well and coming out with a housing. I think they said 500,000 that, that they were going to build. Uh, is this going to become an issue? Uh, because it seems that, uh, the liberals, uh, have really not laid too many details down here. Uh, yes, I suspect it will. And it wasn't an issue too, because most of these houses will be in urban areas, right? And where are all the seats? They're in urban areas in Ontario. Quebec, BC, were all their battlegrounds. So that's why it's there. You know, I was hearing this morning as it related to the Liberals, they they say the spin is they've deliberately delayed making any big policy announcements now because they aren't fully convinced people are tuning in. But as they get closer to Labor Day, so maybe next week uh, or the week after, which is the week of Labor Day, that they'll put some more policy out and have people focusing on their offerings by the debate dates of September 8th and 9th. So I suspect when that policy comes down, their policy comes down, it will even kick up this debate about about housing. Uh, is that what you feel their strategy is? As soon as uh, summer is over unofficially, then all of a sudden, look out, we're hitting into high gear. Yeah, that's what I've heard, um, and it, it seems to be borne out so far. I mean, the Prime Minister has, an, I think he has one announcement today of, of significance, um, but they haven't dropped their full platform books as the NDP and the Conservatives have. So, uh, yeah, I think he's waiting, uh, if, probably for two reasons. One, that's generally the way Liberals in government have done things. They save it until the end, and he's got material from his... Um, from his budget to play with now. And, and the second reason is I think uh, they think that that can give them a lift, could potentially give them a lift if they, uh, if they need it uh, going into the last weeks of the election. Is there anything more he can add to get people's attention, considering he has been in government as long as he has, uh, and, and, and obviously has been spending lots during a pandemic? Now it's an election. It's like Christmas. It's time to go uh, to the tree and see what's underneath. Can he add much to, uh, to this, to, to, to add spice, to, to add surprise to, to his campaign? What more can he add? Well, not for the whole audience, right? I mean, I don't think there are – it's not for everybody he's doing this. There's, he's going to look at the where the potential of um, second-choice voters will be, those who he might be able to move, where the undecided are at that time. So he's shopping for them, and there might, they, there probably are a few items that – 
people may pay me more attention to, but I think in the end they'll look at the pattern of the liberal government and determine the legitimacy of the promises. And and, and I hope you're enjoying my son expressing himself out here today. He's having a lot of fun, Scott, while I'm on the phone. Oh, don't you worry about that. We love hearing it. Don't you worry. We're just so thankful that you're here. Uh, I'll let you go in just a sec. One more question. Uh, NDP and the Greens, uh, always before an election, there's lots of chatter. They even seem to make a bit of an impact in some polling and such. Uh, how is, how is uh, well, I guess the Greens are having difficulty, also, obviously, internally. But how is Jagmeet Singh making out uh, and getting his message out? Will they fare? Uh, how do you think they will fare uh, going through this campaign? Uh, the Greens are low. They're at 5% in our latest abacus poll. The NDP seem to be doing okay. Um, actually, they gained two. In our latest poll that we talked about earlier in the week, um, the liberal slip was picked up, half the liberal slip was picked up by the NDP and not the Conservatives. So, you know, Mr. Singh is the most liked, as I've said to you before, of the leaders. Um, so he's going to keep trying to use that likability and also wedging himself off the true progressiveness or not of the liberals to drive up his numbers. Question for them is, how many seats can they actually win? Because I don't foresee there being an orange wave moment in all of this. Um, so they need structure to structure to win. So they're, they're arguably having the best campaign of all the parties so far. Tim Powers with us, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data. Tim, thank you so much for taking time off, out of your day off, and sharing us with your family uh, to help out. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great You're weekend. Welcome. You're welcome, my friend. Take care. Enough of the guests. Now it's time for my opinion. Here's the commentary. Young people are reconsidering parenthood because of the climate crisis. Wow. That was the irresponsible headline in the fear-mongering Toronto Star yesterday. Yes, I believe the climate is changing. I am not a climate denier. But in the divisive world we now live in, there is no common ground, only right and wrong, my way or the highway. Unfortunately, that just pushes the real debate farther and farther down the road as we fight rather than find a sensible solution. The headline is not only irresponsible, it is as old as the day is long. I remember watching an episode of All in the Family as a kid in the 70s. The son-in-law and daughter were on the show having the same discussion in prime time way back then. And we are all still here. Headlines like this are not only irresponsible, they are for the extreme who go to bed every night thinking the world is coming to an end as opposed to a feasible plan to actually solve the problem, which is called progress. As with COVID-19, scare tactics do not win education wins. The same applies to the planet and future generations. Maybe those who don't want to have kids due to climate change are really thinking more of themselves than the future and have no faith in future generations for their survival. Imagine if past generations felt the same way. Where would we be today? I'm Scott Thompson. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa PR, she is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I am. Thank you for asking, Scott. So, uh, you know, I looked at this, and at first I just shook my head and thought, oh, my goodness. And then I started to to smile a little bit. Um, and, and the first thing that came to my mind in the headline of the Toronto Star is young people are reconsidering parenthood because of the climate crisis. I remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember the TV show All in the Family as a kid. Oh, yes, I remember that scene. Uh Uh-huh. 
you probably don't want to get to talk about. And it, it dealt in a comedic way with all kinds of really pressing issues of the day and, and was very much uh, uh, on the edge of, of what was acceptable at that point. And uh, back then, the character who played the daughter and the son-in-law, the son-in-law was saying, I don't think we should bring kids into this world. This is like the early 70s because the world's in such a terrible place and blah, 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 blah. And the whole debate around that show was whether they should have kids or not. That was in the 1970s. Uh, and now we are hearing, seeing this you know, same sort of headline. Does it make you laugh or does it make you pause? I think that when we say the phrase, history always repeats itself, this is one of those things. And Absolutely. I remember that conversation or that episode from All in the Family. And it was about, there was climate um, that was mentioned, but it was also about the Vietnam War. Yep. So sometimes when you look at the world in its totality, if you take every bad thing, it can feel fairly heavy. However, I don't think that that had any impact on population growth then, and I don't think it's going to have any impact on population growth now. Because if we all felt like that, eventually we are giving birth to people who may do even better or may have a more profound effect on the ills of the day. And I think that we have to look at things with an optimistic attitude. And if you're already thinking that you're bringing, this is my own opinion, Scott. So if you're already thinking negatively that you're bringing somebody in to, you know, the, the topsy-turvy world that we're living in, as opposed to what they can, what you can bring in to, to change the world and make it better. I mean, I certainly can't live like that. And I would submit that most people don't live like that, but I think that people do think about it. But I would hope that it's not really driving a trend of people not wanting to have kids or bring them into a world such as it is. Because there are moments and moments and moments in history that have happened for hundreds and thousands of years that could have given people pause about bringing, um, you know, bringing children into the world. And so far that that hasn't had uh, the repercussions. I think that in terms of climate, we are starting to feel, you know, literally and physically feel and see the effects of, of climate change. However, I would submit that we need to look at it with optimism that we can change, that we can do something about it in order to protect future generations. Imagine if past generations felt that way. Imagine if they gave up that quickly. Imagine if that they were they were that negative, that defeatist. Well, exactly. And it's funny. I remember who was having the conversation, and I just quickly brought up the cast of All in the Family. So, so, so for those of us who used to watch it every Saturday night, I think it was before Carol Burnett, but after MASH, um, it was the actors Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers. And they were yeah. considered radicals on the show. Absolutely. Because they, were, because they were young and they were bringing up topics that, you know, Archie and, you know, his wife, Edith, did not want to hear. And in many cases, as we get older, I, you know, I just don't want to hear about it, okay? I don't want to hear about it. But I think that by keeping these topics in the conversation and understanding the gravity that they're having on our population and potential future populations should really help drive change and help potentially drive optimism than just wallowing in the the, the the matter of fact that, oh, and take a defeatist attitude. So what does it say about that generation? I'm not trying to pile on the millennials here, but what does it say, uh, you know, why this drastic step? There's no hope. They're worried. 
I think they're worried and I think they feel helpless. And I think that over the past 20 months, people feel as if, you know. But doesn't it, well, that would be with everybody, though. Why, why yeah, just them? But, but, but maybe with this generation and also this younger generation, they feel, as with everybody, quite honestly, Scott, as you so astutely point out, that we feel a loss of control. We feel that we don't have control over our own environment, let's just say. You know, over our jobs, the way we move around in society, the way that we interact. And I think that takes its toll. And I think a lot of people are just just coping right now or just trying to sail along in order to get to a time where we feel normal again. You know, I saw a headline that said, you know, we're the 90s, the best of our times. And I thought, oh, ha, 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 clickbait. And I thought, and then I sat down and thought about it and go, huh, you know, I always have a saying that it was the best of times, we never knew it at the time. But, mm. you know, you've got to know the bad to understand what the good can be. And everything goes through a correction. And, you know, I, I think this is how we have to talk to our children about this. It's like, you know, when you're in school or you know, have a daughter in university, you know, I always say one test, one paper, one exam does not define you. And I don't think that we can let this define us. I think that we can let it inform us to make better decisions. But I don't think that we should let it, let this define us. You know, you bring up a valid point because, you know, I've been at home with my kids for the last year of, you know, schooling from here, university from here and such. And, you know, because I'm in the media and such, we talk about this all the time and they, you know, they get bombarded with stuff. And, you know, I've said to both of them many times, you know, when they talk about, oh, geez, like today, oh, look, dad, the cases are up to 650. Holy smokes. And, you know, whenever they, they point to certain things, and again, it's, it's social media, it's, they're finding out stuff before I do. Um, you know, I point back to history. Like I was joking around with them the other day. I'm watching this, uh, documentary on Netflix about Bob Dylan. I'm not really a Bob Dylan fan. It's sort of like before my time, but to watch him go through the sixties and what he had to deal with and how he was labeled as a protest singer and he never really even ever protested. It's, it's the exact same thing that we're living through today. And I don't know how many times I pointed that out to the kids. Remember this. You wouldn't remember this, but this, this all happened, you know, uh, and we all survived. It's not uncommon to go through these crises and you have to remind the kids of that i agree and you know people have lived through and fought in world wars you know yeah, I, yeah. I mean you know this world has gone through many many horrific instances where there was suffering but we always managed to come through and i think what's so important maybe what we have to start concentrating on especially when it comes to mental health is, you know, showing that hope, showing that way forward. And it's interesting, segue, Scott, are you ready? That, you know, when you have a political campaign, yeah, that's what people want to see. You know, I think we talked about um, when we, after World War II, Winston Churchill lost the yeah. national election. And he lost it because it was all about how I led you out of World War II. People don't want to hear about the war anymore. So I think that we're, what we're going to be looking for, in addition to like looking at specific policies, is that, you know, who's going to give us that glimmer of hope that we can move forward, that we can have positivity and, you know, see our way clear to the future. Uh, I've often used the phrase during this pandemic, this is the first crisis of our privileged generation. Are we a coddled generation? 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that there's some merit to that. I don't know if it's being coddled, or we just haven't suffered through this, these types of corrections yeah. before, Scott. It, you know, so that's a very valid point. That's a very valid point in the sense that we haven't learned how to cope with something like this. I think that coping and resilience is something that might be in short supply. And I think that it's really hard for parents to instill that in their kids, especially nowadays. But, you know, try we must. And I don't think that we can, you know, take that for granted. And even though it might be hard for us, remember, you know, that we are influencing the next generation. And I think that we have to show them that there is a sunnier side, that there is another side, that we should always try and look for the positivity and walk towards that in any way that we can. Because the last thing that we want to do is, and and these kids have been through a heck of a lot, and Let's not forget the parents who are working and homeschooling at the same time. Oh, yeah. You know, I was lucky. My daughter's in university. I didn't have to homeschool her. But, oh, my goodness, imagine having three kids at home, yeah. three different classes at three different ages. I mean, people are tired, Scott. People are tired. Yeah. They're yeah. physically and they're mentally tired. It's hard for people to see the sunny side of life or the glass half full right now. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there is a way that will show people that there is another side to this and that there are, and I hate to use this expression, you know, sunny ways, but we really need to look at that now. Uh, What about this generation that will be, it's their world, they're still in school, just going to school, will get out of of school in the next couple of years. They don't know uh, any other life in the working world other than this one. What do you think they're poised to do? Because I think that is going to be the next greatest generation. I think so, too. And, you know, if you talk to this generation, let's just talk about 20-year-olds right now. And when you talk about them, you know, gee, who are you going to vote for? You know, as older oops, as older Canadians, um, I think that, you know, we think that there's three parties in the system, right? But, you know, if you talk to my daughter and her friends, you know, I, I can't bear to vote for liberal. I can't bear to vote for the conservatives. I'm not going to vote for NDP. I'm going mm. to vote for the Green Party. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I mean, like, <laughs> listen, listen, mom, my daughter says, this world, this environment, this whole climate crisis, it's a mess and it is bad. And honestly, I mean, I just sort of looked at her and I thought, well, yeah, it is. So whatever happens, I'm not going to support a party that doesn't have this as its central part of its platform. Hmm. And I think that when you talk about that, this generation could be the greatest generation because they may not ever settle for the status quo. Yeah. Well, there has been, there's been a shift here, which, you know, the same thing as the technology. This technology has been here forever, but it's taken, a, it's taken this bump for it to actually, uh, for us to take advantage of it. Same thing here. I mean, when the world is, you know, when, when the wheel stops for a year and a half, when it starts again, it's not the same. No, no, it's not. And I think that we should hold a lot of hope in this generation. Yeah. This next one coming up. I really do. And, uh, you know, I see them, you know, going on exchange now if they're in university and they're in that type of program. I see them wanting to travel. I see them, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. You know, my daughter has a full-time job, and but she doesn't have to go into the office. So these yeah. kids know nothing about commuting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she may wake up at, whatever, 845, splash her face, put on a top, and go to her first meeting <laughs> yeah. two yeah. feet away from her bed. Yeah. 
So I, I, I think that they're, I think that they're going to change things because they know that there's an alternate plan. They know that things can run differently. It will be fascinating to see, and I think this is a very exciting time to be a young person. Uh, I think it's tough for any uh, uh, that are probably in the 30 to 40 range because they started a life in a certain world and they're going to finish it in one that will be uh, completely different. But boy, haven't we heard that song before uh, over the decades? Uh, Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert, Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the debate around the dinner table. <laughs> oh, yes, I certainly will. You too, Scott. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.